Today we sit down with Kyle. You may know him from his YouTube channel, Out of Spec Motoring, or from Inside EVs, where he's a guest contributor. We spoke with him while he was in Colorado on his cross-country summer trip in a Tesla Model 3. Kyle's channel focuses on everything from range testing and real-world usage of EVs to taking them to the track and finding out where they are really pushing the limit for automotive technology. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Cool show. Happy to be a part of it and looking forward to talking about cars as always. So where where are you joining for us from? Is this uh, your normal office or? <laughs> this is a good one. I am in my sister. No, sorry. This is confusing already. I'm in my girlfriend's <laughs> sister's bedroom. And, uh, and uh, you know, nothing freaky going on here. Alyssa's over here. But um, it basically, we're in Denver, Colorado, Fort Collins, just north. And uh, for those who have watched the Out of Spec Motoring YouTube channel, which is likely the minority of your audience, so we do electric vehicle road trips and adventures and things like this. We're on one currently where we are uh, basically doing a big loop convoluted around the country in a Model 3. We knew this was possible, nothing exciting about that. But what is cool is it's my first time really camping and overlanding and going out in an electric car, not just on the highways to superchargers, but on dirt roads, pushing it as far as we can, plugging in in campgrounds when those are our only options. Because as we all know, it's too easy to road trip a Tesla these days. Uh, anyway, I had to come here to Fort Collins, visit some family along the way, because I had to fly to New York yesterday. I Two days ago, I drove the new Polestar 2 electric car, which is very cool. And now I'm back and tomorrow we resume the road trip. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, you're being a bit modest, but that, that highlights it really well. A lot of your experience is with Teslas, but you also have kind of that traditional automotive background along with our automotive uh, experience in a few different areas. Uh, but then you do tests with really long-term testing versus kind of just the normal, I mean, uh, wasn't it the Akia Nero? You did kind of the Electrify America with or? Right, that was the Hyundai Kona electric that's the yeah. underneath, yeah or close enough. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the weird thing is, is, you know, I, I'm one of the only Tesla guys out there um, that, that loves my car. Don't get me wrong. I love my car, love Tesla, used to work for them. Like, you know, I'm all in, but I'm the least Tesla fanboy fanboy, if that makes sense. Um, basically, I'm waiting for the day and, and, and very excited for the day where I don't necessarily have to own a Tesla to cover my daily driving needs and what I do. Um, and also I think that day is approaching very quickly and, uh, you know, there's a lot of things to go into what comes next, but I typically keep cars for nine to 12 months. Something's coming up here. So for my personal car, we might be seeing a shift away from Tesla, um, either this year or next, which will be kind of interesting. Going to the Porsche Taycan. Well, I think used Taycans are going to be pretty good. <laughs> uh, let's good talk point. about this for a second because new evs tank in actually okay so i'm going to cut you off i, okay. I hate to do this but I, okay. I can tell we can already nerd out way too easily yeah. about that stuff can you <laughs> can you share real quickly uh just a little bit you, you mentioned you used to work for tesla but just kind of share how you got involved with this how this all started uh right. and how you're now in denver as part of this large uh road trip across the country yeah sure so briefly i uh you know basically left Tesla to do something not working for someone else. And the goal was to, to travel, to, you know, figure out what's next, what's coming. Um, and, 
in the, those travels, I started a little channel called Out of Spec Motoring, and it was really just to film our experiences with cars. Uh, I was in a unique position where I had a lot of friends with cool cars. I knew a lot of friends in the automotive industry, uh, especially on the journalism side. And I knew that's sort of the area I wanted to go in. So I was like, you know what, before I start like applying to be an intern at, you know, a low budget magazine that reviews cars, let me try my own thing, just doing interesting things. You know, I had the Teslas at the time. We had our own track, which was starting to come. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as well. And I'm like, well, we have everything put together and make great YouTube videos, cool content specifically for EVs and do things no one else had seen at the time. And uh, I mean, we were the first ones really out there drifting around P100Ds and going on these massive trips. Now everyone does it, uh, which is great. That's sort of the whole goal is to just show that these sort of things are possible in EVs. And um, yeah, now it's, it's turned into a, uh, uh, out of specs turned into like an adventure channel. We are a slave to YouTube algorithms like everyone else. And our really long road trip video series just outperform everything tenfold. And I mean, these videos do two, three, four hundred thousand views that are an hour long about driving in electric car places. And I've did maybe... I don't know, seven or eight of them last year that were cross country, big trips. And I'm like, well, there's, I can only go cross country so many times. <laughs> so I was like, all right, let's go on dirt. Let's go camping. Let's push the limits. Let's see if people like this adventure thing, because where my head's at is let's get some Rivians, maybe Cybertruck, if that becomes a real thing, you know, some of these real exciting, uh, potentially adventure vehicles and really push the limits as to how far we can go with EVs. And so that's sort of um, why I'm on the trip, why I'm in Denver now. Yeah. I, and I highly recommend if anyone hasn't watched them, they are, uh, it's honestly, they're entertaining unto itself, but sometimes it's just like, I, and I mean this in the best way possible. Sometimes it's kind of a nice thing to put on right before you go to bed. It's not that it's like boring no, it by any means. your brain off. Kind of. Yeah. And there's something about just the, uh, just the cutaways of seeing like, open road it's kind of soothing and we found whatever it is that's like asmr of road <laughs> tripping and uh you know like i watched this guy not that i have In any 2020 maybe but i watched this guy that reviews like military ration meals mres and like yeah. millions of views on this i'm like i'm never gonna eat one of these things but i'll watch him for 40 minutes picking apart everything and i think we've captured that for road trips um, just, just by luck, by nothing else. Now that, that I think does sum it up perfectly. Uh, you just kind of have to find that one thing. I, for me personally, I probably powered through two, maybe almost two and a half hours of just the YouTube clips of this old house, uh, because I'm currently decided, I decided, you know what, why not? I'm going to, with everything going on, do some home remodeling as if I didn't have enough going on before all, uh, COVID and everything else. And start a podcast, remodel your house. Yeah. What else do you have going on? Uh, actually, I, I, this isn't my main thing. I, I work for a uh, company as kind of a customer success person. I just started working for a new company a month ago. So, Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I think I want to get a few dogs too. Just really go all in. Well, I would highly recommend doing so. Dogs are the best. I'm, I'm overdue. We, we, uh, my girlfriend has, it's kind of like a smaller thing. 
cute enough, but uh, yeah, definitely trying to upgrade to yeah, one when, you can trip over. Yeah, well, it was exactly. Well, yeah, <laughs> one that you know when it's there, as opposed to tripping on it by accident. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You got. You just got to get to the the place where you at least are aware that the dog is in front of you, and then that's sort of the threshold for what's considered a dog or a rodent. But no, I mean that in the nicest way. Oh no, no, I I, I, I call I call the thing a rat the whole, all the time. Yep, so you you're, no, you're not far off. Right. Uh, which I think also goes to what makes this kind of oddly impressive what you're doing with all these road trips because you do those quite a bit. But then to do that with two full size dogs in the right. back of a small ish, very open is maybe the best way to put it. Sedan, yeah, um, does add to the entertainment value, but. I guess to well, just take it adds a step. to the entertainment value for everyone watching, but for yeah, us, it yeah. does not add to the entertainment value. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. How, how long have you been doing uh, the out of spec channel now? Oh, that's a good question. It started again, very sporadically as just a little side thing uh, with my friend Ben. And we uh, started this maybe one and a half years ago. Uh, it was basically when we left Tesla, we were allowed to post cool stuff uh, yeah. because you know, we posted a uh, video of us towing a semi truck up a hill with Ben's Model X. Uh, it was literally stuck in front of the sales center that we worked at. Um, we had offices in Raleigh and this truck was just like sliding back a snowy hill. So we hooked up a personally owned by Ben Model X 90D, cranked it up the hill. Elon shared it. Tesla shared it. As far as I'm aware, it's the most viewed Tesla video, at least the statistics as of whenever I checked last year. And uh, I mean, we almost got fired for it because we weren't supposed to post stuff as employees, but it was on public property in a personal car. I'm like, this is so silly. So now I'm uh, glad that we're away from that situation, have been for a while, and uh, we're able to share some of the cool stuff we do throughout a spec. And now it's a regular thing. At least once a week, you'll get a video. Yeah, I, I think uh, as you can mention, obviously, uh, Tesla's play a big part of it, but uh, recently reviewing the Volvo Polestar and quite a few other cars they're kind of showing the expansion of this. And I, I think one of the questions I really wanted to ask you was, given how far EVs have come, and I think there's certain kind of moats and protective things that Tesla has gone, but with all these new EVs also coming online now and in the next year or so, what would you say as someone who's actually driving, pushing them to their limits on the road trip, the thing that people say is impossible, what are some of the misperceptions uh, that you hear that I just wish people would realize is no longer a thing. Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of in my own little category here. Uh, to me, I really don't, like if people are extremely happy with their Tesla uh, and they're happy road tripping it, there's no reason for them to go out of their way to then go learn about another product. If they're just happy with theirs, you're, you know, I, honestly, to me, it doesn't even matter if they're driving electric or not. If you're happy with your vehicle choice, then great. Um, if you are driving a Tesla, you're extremely happy with it, and then you go ahead and say every other vehicle is crap because X, Y, Z for the wrong reasons that you haven't decided to research or go try out. That's when I'm just like, what are you doing here? And so we see this like hive mentality of Tesla owners. It's been widely documented that like anytime there's not even competition, but the, a, a hint of smell of a great EV coming out, it's always, well, did you know my car can go zero to 60 in 2.28 seconds and it goes 402 miles EPA? And, you know, it, they do have a point. Tesla has redefined what it means to make a good car uh, in people's minds, which is purely statistics. 
But as you know, we don't drive around numbers on paper. We drive around on pavement in emotional. So I, I, I'd push back a little bit. I, I think your, you're right. That the, the change is it used to be zero to 60 was like the automotive definition. That really didn't mean anything, but it was a form of just saying, uh, saying like, hey, this is what this car can do. That has evolved a little bit to MPGs. Yeah. And then it's, it's evolved now to like efficiency and range, especially for EVs. I do not think by any means that is the end all be all. Uh, but, and I think it is probably intentionally kind of pushed with a lot of these marketing divisions and some journalists where it's like, oh, this is the new Tesla killer. This is the new Tesla killer. Kind of going back to what you said with it is YouTube analytics or whatever that gets great clicks. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, we can talk about how you can stay alive in this business uh, ethically and not ethically, of course. Um, uh, you know, sometimes people just have to write Tesla content to pay the bills because that's what gets clicks. But no, I, I, I tend to think that you're, you're, no, we're on the same page. These numbers are what people view as good or bad cars. But yeah. what's totally not the case is that exact thing. You can have a 50 mile range electric car, like I own an electric smart car, and I have way more fun driving my electric smart car around than I do my Tesla Model 3. But it's slower, it doesn't go anywhere on a charge, but it accomplishes its task of ripping around the city perfectly uh, and way better than the Tesla does. Let's just, I mean, to be completely honest, it's a better car for its intended purpose. Uh, and this is where I start, I'm starting to see um, Tesla owners really not, and they, again, they don't have to, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. They're really not getting it. Uh, Tesla's had great vertical integration with charging network, with, uh, with UI and software updates. So now we're starting to see new car companies. Let's take Polestar, for example, it's fresh on my mind. I just drove it. It's a new car company, 50% owned by Volvo, 50% by Geely, but it's not a Volvo. It's just a Polestar. It's not sold through Volvo dealers. They're sold through Polestar stores and, and, and contracts, but all of them also own Volvo dealers. Right. So, <laughs> but, but, you know, away from the sales and delivery process, the car itself is, again, this is my take on it. It's a better looking car than any Tesla product there's ever been. It's a better feeling car in terms of material usage on the inside. Uh, and it's also a better driving car from a chassis controls per, uh, perspective over Model Y. And this is with really nice adjustable Olean's dampers, big brakes. I mean, they really put some effort into some of the things that don't make it to the spec sheets or that are not the range and the numbers. And so, uh, you know, full over-the-air software updates, it's good. Now, is it better than a Tesla on a whole? I think the answer is still probably not. I think uh, charging network and just vertical integration and seeing how Tesla's handled things is really a big step ahead. But we're not very far away from, from the charging networks figuring their stuff out, hopefully, because um, right now the biggest problem is uh, station availability and uptime, not necessarily location. There's plenty of spots to charge up, but if you can plug in, you just want to make sure that it works because I've been stuck with Electrify America, not charging my car. And uh, it was really a pain in the ass. Oh, I, so the first time I ever drove an EV, well, I, I'd driven one before, but like the first time I drove a Tesla was back in 2013 
and with the whole that and it was before the supercharger thing was even an experience and it is still kind of it's so impressive how far that network has come but it is still also like equally impressive and kind of mind-blowing how far everyone else hasn't come um, through the issues uh, between just challenges around business models. We, I've already spoken with a couple um, charging networks on this podcast, and I, I think they're, they've definitely got some really great ideas of how they're approaching it. Uh, I haven't spoken with Electrify America yet, but that's definitely one I'm looking to kind of get their take on it. I, I just think it is, it, it is really, Tesla, they may not be the greatest and everything, but they've done a very good job in at least getting pretty good across the board. Um, I would agree. Quality control, who knows there. But once again, that's one area. Yeah, but I mean, and, but, even then, like, I've never honestly had an issue that's prevented me from driving my car. And I think I, uh, the one I had for business, there's one issue once, but it was so minor. And in compared to like every other car it had, not an issue. I mean, not like, really. Uh, but I, I do want to say what was interesting, you just compared the Polestar Volvo to the Model Y. Right. Do you see it as more of a, given how far it is off the ground, it's more of a crossover than it compared to the Model 3? So it's it's in between in size, closer to Model 3, but yeah. feeling closer to Model Y. Uh, gotcha. Just sitting in the car, it's extremely high ride height position. I, you know, they, they brand it as a fastback. Um, that's just PR speak for they don't know what to call it. And right. so <laughs> basically it's, uh, I would say it's a, a some sort of an SUV hatchback type thing. But um, yeah, it, to me, I, I don't know why anyone would go and buy a new Model 3, honestly, uh, because the Y isn't that much more money. I mean, granted, if we're talking same battery pack trim levels and it's more practical and you're not really giving up on range and it's more comfortable to get in and out of. So, you know, unless you're going to the racetrack or you think the Model 3 is better looking than the Y, which it is, but both don't look great, then you go Model 3. So the, it's really the Y versus everything right now, not so much the 3. But you get six miles extra range. Yeah, well, you know, look, some people need those six miles every day. I, I don't know who does, but I'm sure someone out there. <laughs> no, and I, I would agree with you on that. I, I, uh, I actually am looking to get one hopefully closer to October. but. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as the convenience and the delta in what it does, unless you're, to me, the, the, the only one that makes sense, I mean, obviously you have the standard range Model 3 and from a price difference, that's kind of one area. Sure. Uh, but then you start getting to otherwise, if you look at just kind of the most common, the long range model, really the Model Y wins and it only makes sense if you're only looking at a Model 3 and you're cross maybe against like an M3 or some other kind of performance vehicle. And then you go up to the performance one, but there's still unto itself. Those are its own big deltas between uh, a performance sedan and a model three performance. Yeah. I mean, I would say though, if you're, if, if anyone, like if you have an elevator 10 second, you're in with someone, they're like, I need to buy an electric car. What, am, what should I get? It's just model Y. Yeah. It's, uh, across the board, the best value, the best driving experience, the best seating position, great range, great charging speeds, 250 kilowatt. Uh, you really can't go wrong with that. It's It ticks all the right boxes. Now, if you are talking to like a uh, Mercedes GLE owner or uh, an X3, they may get in the Y and go, oh, it doesn't feel as nice. And it isn't as nice on the inside. This is an argument we've heard for a while. 
it doesn't need to be it's a new it's like the future of luxury to what i've been calling it but you know it's the it's this minimalistic style uh but still we're starting to see other brands that have their own take on minimalistic style that might be more appealing to someone else and that's where these cars start coming in i think the volvo from what i've seen at least is like the perfect example of that where it's minimalist but not completely minimal yeah i mean all new volvos since 2016 on their yeah gorgeous have been amazing i've i've loved them ever since and it's the first car that i've really had an emotional a connection with in terms of i could see myself driving this uh that's not a performance oriented vehicle uh, because it's it's comfortable but it's clean it's nice it's unpretentious uh, but quality and i think these are really good things that they have going for them you know th there's no uh, no mistaking polestar a lot of it's based on design the ceo of the company was the lead designer at volvo before i mean you literally have a designer yeah. running an entire car company here and it's okay for him to do that because a lot of the technology is just pulled from volvo totally no i i think that is probably the best example of a traditional car company yeah uh, bringing an EV to market. So from what we've seen so far. Right. Well, uh, they'll have, it, what's kind of interesting is they'll have Polestar 2 from their sub-brand electric, which not a sub-brand, full brand, but it's still a sub-brand. I, I, I saw a quote it's, from Matt it, Yeah, It's the hardest company to explain without using the word Volvo. I, I mean, think that's their to, biggest issue with this car is their own branding. Well, okay. So you could see it as an issue, but you could also see it as Volvo having extremely positive uh, response from people out there. So like when people are out there, they're like, what kind of car is this when I was driving it? And I'm like, it's a Polestar. They're like, oh, it looks like a Volvo. I'm like, well, it's partially owned by them. They go, oh, that's great. No one was like, oh, I don't like Volvo. Who, I mean, because right. no one really dislikes Volvo. You just may not be into brown station wagons like every right. auto journalist is. <laughs> Very good point. Yeah. So I, I think so that's, that's an interesting way to look at it. Is it is a disc, a conversation starter about the brand and how it's involved versus. Yeah. Cause no one, you don't want to basically say it's a pole star and then that's it and be like, yeah, it's, you know, give it no background. Yeah, I mean, it's important to say it's show its roots and it does that with its design language. Um, but they're also going to have that car compete with XC40 recharge on the other side. Yeah. And I think we all know XC40 recharge will likely do more numbers because uh, you'll have a great Volvo sales and delivery network already built out in the U.S. for that vehicle. Polestar 2 is just going to be in concentrated hubs uh, to start expanding over time. And just the, I think this also goes to a conversation I just had um, with actually with Erica Myers on one of the other podcasts where what she was talking about, she's currently, she works with the uh, Smart Electric Power Alliance and they're kind of analyzing how really the marketing for electric vehicles truly has been like performance and male oriented. And mm -hmm. they see that as a big, one of the challenges really to also kind of holding back its larger take of the auto market as along with getting in front of female buyers to think like, okay, if they're going to buy a car, I, I think like model Y XC 40, what they hit really well is what we kind of discussed where it's really usability day to day and safety are right, at the end of the day, two of the biggest reasons people actually buy the majority of cars um, versus kind of what we were talking about earlier, the performance, the zero to 60, all that stuff. Those are kind of fun numbers to have to walk away with. And I, you have actually kind of, I, have you actually driven the Mustang Mach-E yet? Okay. I can't talk about that. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's, that's fair. 
no, I will no, share. I, can, I mean, I what I can yeah. talk about. I drove it, uh, and I drove it virtually. Right. And, I saw uh, that. Which, yeah. Which was kind of interesting. So they put me in a super uber realistic um, uh, simulator that honestly feels just like real life. It was a very cool experience, and I drove you know, their Mustang five liter, their, their F-150. And then I went in the Mustang Mach-E and uh, was very impressed. It's a cool car. Um, but you know why people have this connotation towards this performance as a defining characteristic of EVs is because a lot of uh, non-car, non-traditional car enthusiasts uh, were captured by Model S and then Model 3 in their price point. And this is their first car that they've really cared about, right? And so the most impressive figures about these first time performance guys getting these cars are range and performance. And so this now to them means these are the metrics that I must judge every EV on going forward. And if they want to, great, there will be cars to fulfill the spec sheet race, you know, the sticky note race between you and someone else. But uh, if you really care about a great driving experience, pretty much anything under five seconds, zero to 60 is, is more than enough power. Um, even Polestar, like I was ripping it super hard in the mountains. I was like, I don't need any more power than this. And that's coming from me and I'm on track all the time. Like I thought it was properly powered. So Tesla, you know, they, they led the conversation. Good for them. They captured a huge, huge audience, nothing wrong with it. And, uh, if anything, it's probably been a very positive thing for EVs because now they have a connotation that they're extremely fast. They're not golf carts, right? I, I'm just curious as to whether like trying to get more people in them and kind of expar- expand to the larger automotive uh, market. Because once again, EVs are growing, but it's still a tiny fraction. And I, I think that's going to change. I don't know how quickly. And obviously I kind of get what Ford did with the Mustang Mach-E as kind of trying to put the branding behind it, put the interest around it. But even if you take, I I think they really have kind of a winning formula. I wouldn't say it's the best looking car, but for the segment it's going after, it looks good. And the fact that they then kind of decide to go in and bring in the Mustang and the Mach-E connotation and the performance, I kind of think was overkill and not, I don't know. I don't think it's, I think there's definitely going to be a small group of people that buy it. I think it'll be successful in its own right, but I think it's, I kind of think it might be holding itself back by trying to go that route versus just be, I I don't want to say the Ford Explorer, but you know, I think honestly, like the Ford, an electric Ford Bronco, that thing would be sick. Yeah. Well, what's actually funny. We just saw some Broncos high altitude testing on the way over here on the way back from the airport. I'm sure. Yeah. uh, You know, I, I tend to agree with Ford's move on the Mustang name. Uh, and and I've spoken to uh, pretty much everyone on the whole team at this point. Uh, I've been lucky enough to be pretty involved in the Maki, understanding how they did everything. And I'm not just saying this because they gave me a cool experience. Like I'm I'm totally open here. At first, I thought, okay, this is really stupid. We're getting a Mustang that first off is now an SUV. That alone is sacrilege. Yeah. And then you're taking out my V8 and my manual transmission and putting in a battery pack. Like, come on. Uh, but after thinking about it, you know, I, I think Ford really uh, decided during these talks that if they're going to build an electric car, it's going to be the best electric car that they can build. And they're going to put all of the brand's effort behind it. And what is really more iconic of a name than Mustang for Ford? I mean, you really only have uh, Mustang, F-150, and now Bronco. Obviously, they'll have an F-150 battery electric at some point. 
Bronco will probably get a plug-in or battery electric down the road, speculation. Um, so I, I think for this reason, Ford knows that they, the future is electric and they're just going to go out with a bang. And they knew this was going to grab all the headlines. It was going to cause a lot of controversy, a lot of conversation. And right, that, right. I think, was probably the best marketing move. Because if they were coming out with an, a, a Ford Escape electric, we'd be like, of course they are. Right? And then we well, move and I, on. I, I totally get that. I just, I think, once again, I, I don't know. I, I will be, it'll be interesting to see. I just feel like tying it, once again, I think tying it to, I think what they're doing with F-150 or what they're trying to do with that, I think will be really cool. There's definitely a huge op opportunity there. Um, and I, I agree with like trying to call it the Ford Escape, Ford Explorer. It's just not going to have that same thing as maybe Mustang. Right. But I, I am just curious to see, and you're right, it, it definitely creates conversation, but I'm just going to be curious to see if it like also turns people off from it for being kind of more of a, looking at it, going into it with the expectation as a performance vehicle versus the expectation of it, of what a lot of EVs do is be great all around vehicles for most families for day-to-day -day stuff. This is a good point. And I asked them about this and they said with between now and I forget the year, but 2023, 2024, there's going to be 68 different competitors in the small crossover electric yeah. vehicle segment. And so if Ford went and built like what we were saying, what everyone else is going to build, because that they knew that everyone's going to build a nice, sensible family, you know, CUV, Mazda CX-5 style uh, hatchback with a lift kit, basically, uh, yeah. to go do the shops. And so um, I think they made the right move. And again, if, if they had launched this car two years later, we probably would have a different conversation. We'd probably say, this is great. We know exactly why they did this. But I think they really looked forward and said, not many people are taking a performance approach with these small SUV things. And uh, like, for example, Volvo XC40 Recharge, no mention of performance yeah. in that car. Not meant to be. It's just a e nice, comfortable way. There's going to be more of those. So I think um, in this case, they made the right move uh, using Mustang. Really, and, and it's not just a name. It really is a performance-oriented vehicle. You can get this thing sideways. You can have some fun. It roasts tires. Uh, it's built uh, from a drivetrain thermal standpoint to really handle the abuse and uh, they, they put some good effort into it and it, you can take it to a track day, no problem. Yeah, that, that's, that's interesting. And I, I will default to your expertise. You've driven it, even virtually, is more than I have done, so. No, no I, I, have you, we can agree to disagree on this. <laughs> I, I just think Ford made the right call given the, given the competition that's coming. They needed to set I, I, I respect I respect the, the logic for it. That, does also make sense. It'll be interesting to see how it works out, but I, I do get that. Um, so with everything you've got going on and you're kind of the cars you've been testing, where, where do you see EVs headed? Is it with the infrastructure? Is it gonna be really about the faster charging infrastructure? Is it gonna be about who has the longest battery pack? Where, where do you see the opportunity, whether that be on the OEM side, the charging infrastructure side? Really done locking more EVs across the board for people. I think uh, in the short term, like next three years, five years, we're going to see a big push for big range. And this is going to be uh, achieved in two ways. Big ass batteries or lots of efficiency. That's the only, you know, those are your two options. And I think probably Lucid will be king of this, uh, more so than Tesla. 
I think they're going to have, uh, you know, you have Peter Rawlinson running the company and he knows exactly what he's doing. He engineered the Model S. They're chasing down every last half a percent of efficiency in every module, every area of the car. Uh, that is the approach I really like to see is no wasted electricity. However, in the longer term, I think we're going to see a shift back to shorter range, smaller battery pack electric vehicles. Um, the thing is, uh, so much cost goes into the battery pack, so much extra material, so much extra weight. You can make the cars drive better with smaller packs. And I think once the charging infrastructure is there, which I, it is, I mean, I drove a Mini Cooper SE from New Jersey to North Carolina, which is the shortest range new EV on the market. And it was no problem, not even a hiccup. And then my friend Tom from Inside EVs, he drove it right back up and it was no issue. Uh, so, you know, the case for long range, if you don't road trip a lot, isn't really there. What needs to be there is fast charging deep into the pack that you have. So up to 80% hold your max charging curve. Therefore, on a smaller range vehicle, you can take advantage of that charging time for as long as possible. And um, once people sort of get around to this range anxiety going, you know, away and, and cost, of course, on uh, shorter range EVs being relatively inexpensive very soon, that's, that's the trend we're going to see for, for most urban drivers. Uh, for the guys like me, we're always going to get the biggest, longest range we can possibly get because we're just on the road and, you know, we just not necessarily need the driving range, but need that recharge time to, to right, driving right. distance. That's the key ingredient here. Well, I mean, I, I think I agree with you as far as like the efficiency going, that to me seems to be the best way to start with this. As cell production and kind of battery production scales up, there's the opportunity to do bigger batteries, but the thing starts, I, and I think people don't appreciate this unless they drive EVs, but you almost have to approach it the other way. And the higher charge rate you can get for, or the more efficiency you can get in that charge from a smaller battery means inherently you're getting more miles per hour of charge versus having some massive battery that takes forever to charge up if it has like a 500 watt hour mile uh, efficiency. I, yeah, that is the correct. yeah. It's, um, it, it's something that a lot of manufacturers are overlooking and you know who has it right are the Germans. The Germans are doing and they understand fast charging deep into the right. pack, for example, Audi e-tron has garbage range. We know this. I mean, it's not garbage, 200 miles, but driving it normally, you get 180. Uh, but the thing is on a road trip, it's not that much worse than my Tesla Model 3 or a Model Y because in my Tesla, it starts slowing down at 35% state of charge and I'm at 100 kilowatt at 50%, right? That Audi e-tron has a bigger battery pack and I can stuff 150 kilowatt nonstop to 80%. So right. therefore, you know, I'm, I might be consuming more electricity, but I'm charging overall faster factoring in the curve, even though my Model 3 may peak at 250 kilowatt for like two or 3%. I think, I think that for the average user and the consumer experience, I completely agree with you. That does create a better, I, I would say between the way, like you mentioned Lucid, but essentially Tesla in a lot of ways is approaching it around that efficiency. And then also kind of the German manufacturers of focusing on the charge rate. I think there's, that creates a better experience for the uh, end user, the driver. But as far as the infrastructure goes, if you, there, you start running into these weird, 
uh, it's easy to just think of the, the car and the charger, but then when you start looking at the actual electrical load and where you can start putting uh, a bunch of chargers right next to each other, you're essentially, if you've got a couple 250 kilowatt chargers going full speed, you're essentially becoming a mini Walmart in this. Yeah, well, you're, it's like a Costco yeah. going into the car. Exactly. And that, that's where you start running into these issues that uh, it'll be cool to see like this electric Hummer and all these other things coming on. Um, but it'll be, I think they're just going to run into inherent issues with the scale of it. If the charging and utility, cause I mean, even charging at home, even if you go to 40, once you start dealing with like a battery pack, that's 120 kilowatt hours or anything larger, um, like Rivian and others are talking about, then you start seeing a pretty big decline in your, uh, mile per hour charging rate. Yeah, well, I mean, your, your, your rated range added per a given period of time is certainly one metric to look at um, when considering charging. But the, the, there's two- but, And I, I get what you're saying, too, around uh, how long you can hold at that higher charge rate. Right. It's not the peak doesn't matter as much as the session overall. So right. like uh, when we set the, the record New York to L.A. Uh, in an electric car, we only charge to... Uh, maybe 40 or 45% each charger and then pulled in at zero to 2% at the next one and then ran 150 kilowatt up. Yeah, that, that's actually a great uh, thing to share because I think that's originally how I kind of came across your channel was the oh, cool. essentially the electric cannonball run you did. Can you share a little bit about that experience and uh, what you learned from that? Right. So we I, actually uh, first tell for people who might not know what it is, can you kind of tell what it is and uh, what you did to uh for this run? Sure, so the cannonball is something that's not new at all. The cannonball run, obviously everyone knows the movie. It's from you know the 70s. It's basically a protest of the 55 mile per hour speed limit to say, look, we can go across country from you know Red Ball Garage to Portofino Inn. Now it's the Portofino Hotel Marina in Redondo Beach, California, just ripping it as fast as possible. Uh, the whole idea was started by Brock Yates of Car and Driver, uh, turned into this legacy race and it stopped in the 80s. And then uh, in 2005, I want to say, I forget the exact year, Alex Roy took an E39 M5, ripped it across the country, and it sparked a whole new wave of cannonball. Then there were some gas car runs. Ed Bolian held the record for a little while. Um, and then we started seeing electric cannonball runs going. And Alex, who you know set that record in the M5, was doing most of them. Uh, Carl Reese was another huge uh, cannonballer. And and a lot of people um, don't, you know, I'm not quite sure of their reasons for doing the cannonball, but I feel like mine were a little different. Um, a lot of people just wanted to hold a record, do something kind of interesting. You know, they try really hard to say, you know, I went from here to here the fastest. But what I think is a great metric of is showcasing the long distance ability of EVs and watching the times decrease over time. It's really pushing technology as far as it will possibly go. Um, and, you know, also battling traffic and weather and other cars. But in a safe- I, I think, I mean, just to clarify, it's not the most legal of challenges, but it is At a- At this point, it's not the most legal. If you were to try and break by record, you would be doing uh, very illegal speeds most of the time. And your words, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, uh, it's been and, a year, I, I, uh, and like five days, so my statute of limitations are gone. <laughs> so I can say, you know, we ran 140 miles an hour, quite a lot, and, yeah. we're, and they can't come after us. <laughs> Having said that, uh, I, I think what you brought up though was perfect. It's 
traditionally it, it kind of a, a big part of it is the strategy for people who are doing it in combustion uh, vehicles to figure out okay where how much what parts do i do at night so i don't have to deal with traffic and that's essentially what it's become more and more obviously like the cars they choose play into it there's there's definitely a strategy to it but a big part of it is really the strategy and it's not so much a limit of the technology right. whereas what you're dealing with is really both but it's also a, a limit of the, yeah a limit of the technology and where you choose and what path you t- i mean the path you take is kind of a given but it's like which chargers you choose along the way whereas uh for the most part you if you have to an emergency you can go to any gas station you kind of want to choose which ones you go to but with this you're really held to certain times certain areas and the Absolutely. technology of the car battery pack yeah it's uh there's a lot of factors that go into it so i think at this point like we've shown everyone knows teslas can go cross country we all know they can travel long distance quickly i'm not sure there's that much benefit uh trying to break the the ev record with the Tesla anymore. I think we know it'll come down with V3 charging. We know it's going to get broken. I know of 10 attempts to break our record since I said it. Um, you know, they haven't broken it, but I know people are like trying to hold, you know, whatever they want to do. That's cool. What I think the big thing is for technology now is doing this with a non-Tesla EV and hopefully breaking the record in a non-Tesla electric car. Whether this is going to be a Porsche Taycan, whether it's going to be a Lucid Air, uh, but I think those are really going to be the top contenders that can come close with a really high charging rate. You have 350 kilowatt chargers all across the country along the route now. Uh, so this is where um, really the proof of technology will be shown. And it will be a huge thing, not only for the manufacturer of the vehicle that does it, but also to showcase uh, a little bit of the non-Tesla charging network. Because I truly believe many Tesla owners think there are in other DC fast chargers and that there isn't such a concentrated uh, uh, install of them. If you think about it this way, Electrify America is installing chargers and I think it was three times the expansion rate of the supercharger network. Right. I mean, they the are just like, was, yeah. yeah, they're just going flat out. They're putting in big boy chargers, good stuff. What's really failing them is their software. Yeah. And that's where the reliability point comes into it. Will I plug in this car and will it connect and will it charge? I think that's always been the challenge. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that's always been the challenge really with third-party chargers is, and Tesla kind of figured out early was just make it as simple as possible. At first, don't charge money, which obviously isn't long-term as sustainable. But then, uh, because that that has always been my experience is one, you hope to God it works. Two, okay, the charger itself is working, but for some reason, the technology is not working with my car. <laughs> and right. then three, okay, I got the first two things done. I have money in my hand. I have cash. I have a card. Why won't it take my money? I am right. trying to give you. <laughs> and, that's, and that's to me, it's so crazy to me how much that part is where it fails even. It's like I am a consumer who not even once to like do the research to find a competitor. I have to use you right now. Right. I have the money. And right. well, there's no way around using Electrify America on a road trip. I yeah. mean, I don't want to be sitting at a hundred amp EV go stations all day that only give my car 30 kilowatt because it's a low pack voltage car. I mean, I'm going, you got to go to the big boy stations and whatever they charge you, they charge you. 
And the thing is they charge you by the minute. And I see their rationale with this per minute charging. First off, in a lot of areas, you're not allowed to charge by kilowatt hour. You know, you yeah. cannot be a reseller of electricity unless you're an energy provider. Um, and in some cases, there's only one energy provider allowed uh, per area. So you have to charge by minute. But in areas that you can charge by kilowatt hour, uh, it makes a lot more sense, even if you charge a little bit more, because there's so many factors that go into a charging session that can make that by minute charging rate uh, extremely variable. Like for example, we own a BMW i3. When I plug our i3 into an Electrify America station, it puts it in the lowest tier. It pulls the top speed of the lowest tier. And when I charge during peak rates, it's almost as cheap as home electricity. That's great. But as soon as the car starts to taper and slow down, I'm still paying the same amount for less energy and therefore right. it becomes more expensive. Uh, the other, um, yep, yeah, right. So that's, that's the payment side, but yeah, the, it just has to work. And Electrify America uh, had a tough job. Granted, it's for a good reason they have a tough job because of Volkswagen's problems with emissions and everything. You know, this is the reason EA exists. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they had basically to go from nothing with a small team because they're mandated to spend their funds on charging infrastructure, not employees, to go and put fast chargers everywhere. And imagine calling up a fast charging company like ABB that makes, let's say, 100 chargers a month and say, yes, we need like 5,000. Right. And then they're like, okay, I can't do this. So then they have to call three others. Now they have four suppliers of chargers with varying different levels of quality and software, but they have to put the chargers in legally. So now they're just grabbing whatever they can get, stuffing them, putting in these crazy big expensive installs and they don't work. <laughs> and that's where we're at. Oh, you're on mute. I can't quite hear you, Chase. There we go. Sorry. Uh, it, to me, it is like really impressive what they've done, but at the same time, yeah, because of how fast they're moving, which I, once again, I think it will be a short-term issue, but you're right. Yes. It is kind of perplexing. I, I think what would be, I think what would be interesting to hear from you is since you dealt with both that and Tesla, where do you see the biggest weaknesses currently with the Tesla supercharger network? And then what are, uh, you kind of mentioned some of the limitations, but what other limitations do you see with Electrify, Electrify America or any third-party ones? And what do you see as their strengths? Well, Tesla's done a really good job of making it easy for owners to get places. When you want to go somewhere in their car, you say, okay, I want to go to I don't know, Montgomery, Alabama, and it will route you from this charger to this charger to this charger. Not only does it route you to them, it says, here's how many are free and not only does it say, here's how many are free, here's how long you're going to have to wait here. So it gives you the full picture. That's key. However, when you go to plug in, there are some limitations, uh, especially version two superchargers are extremely buggy and weird. You have uh, A and B pairs that share one cabinet. So you need to select the correct stall. This is something your average customer is not going to know. And so they could be sitting there for an hour and a half or two hours when they could have been in and out in 30 minutes or less uh, just because they chose the wrong stall. And so I see a big issue there. And a quick solution for Tesla would be just to recommend on the screen because they have the integration plug into 4A. Yeah. Yeah. Just go find the number and plug into that one. Now they have solved this with version three supercharging. You just plug into anyone you want. You don't have to think about it. And, uh, and their liquid cooled cables. That's another problem with version two, especially in the heat and with newer software, 
because handle temperatures get so hot, and I'm not sure if it's for customer experience grabbing the handle or to protect the internal components of the handle, probably a mixture of both. Uh, when you go to uh, plug in that car and you're at very low state of charge, it has to push a lot of current, of course, to get it up to 150 kilowatt. Heats everything up. That's why in our videos, I put that wet rag around the handle to try and limit that fast charging. But even today, coming back from the airport, I plugged in at 3% state of charge. And by the time I was at 14%, we were already tapered down to 80 kilowatt because of handle temperature. I just, uh, you know, I unplugged the car, moved spots, and I was right back up to 150. And, and, and yeah, and for people who might not be uh, familiar with the technology, assuming that was an issue, how long would you usually see it before you see it to taper? Not 14%, but closer to 40 or something like that for you? Totally depends on what you plug in with yeah. ambient temperature. Uh, and it typically True. happens when you pull in at a very low state of charge, because that's when you, you push all the current through. If you plug in at 30%, it's likely that it won't thermal throttle unless it's a really hot day. I've seen cases where I plug in and it won't even give max power because things are just hot sitting outside. Right. I mean, we were just in Death Valley. It was 123 degrees outside. Like superchargers were not happy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone's happy of that. No, but the car did well. I was impressed with it. I drove it yeah. fairly hard. I tried to overheat it and it, uh, it basically got the rear motor warm, but it didn't really take any power away. It was pretty good. That's wild. Yeah. We, and with the third party ones, I mean, I don't know if it's as common. It definitely happens on parts of like the I-5 in California, depending on holidays. You obviously get the buildup and kind of long lines. Some of that has definitely gotten a lot better, but I think you kind of show that every now and then on your channel that you run into that uh, on the East Coast as well. Right. It happens. Uh, I think it's only happened twice, but yes, it, it's uh, very infrequent, typically during holiday weekends. Uh, and this is just a, a, a really a, a big case for version three charging, uh, where you can almost double or triple the throughput of, throughput of a site just by having unpaired uh, higher charge rate chargers. And again, the, the, only, the benefit with version three is only from zero to 35%, right. roughly, whenever it starts to taper. But that just getting someone you know, zipped up there is, is really a big difference. And also sharing and the equipment doesn't get as hot. Uh, but with third-party chargers, this is where it becomes difficult. And it's not so much the issue with the chargers. Uh, a lot of this can be alleviated with software integration. Uh, and right now, what really needs to happen is you need uh, a few things to have a car that I would feel comfortable handing to my mother to go on a road trip, for example. She drives a Model 3, and I feel fine if she goes anywhere because yeah. the car will get her there. I would never hand her the keys to an e-tron or i-pace and say good luck getting to florida and uh well and it, i think that's that's totally true my uh same with my mom she actually has a model x yeah. and it's it's that same sort of deal where she you essentially and i i think like mercedes a couple of the germans are doing this where you start you have to start thinking about it like evs for really to take off it doesn't need to be just as good as gas with gas you still have to kind of find it but they're all over the place and if you really want to create that better experience, you literally just have to make the software and it's not easy, but it's a clear path how to do it to make it. So the car literally figures it out for you and finds the places for you to stop. It's a hundred percent necessary. It is. Yeah. The Tesla yeah. Model. It's necessary. It's, it's real time charging status, especially with the 
uh, uptime and downtime of all these chargers, the car needs to know what's available. And if you're on the way to that charger and it goes offline, it needs to route you to one that works. It then needs to next prioritize charging speed. Because it's not vertically integrated, not everything's fast like the supercharger network, you have to choose you know, whatever the maximum your car can take and prioritize those chargers uh, for your route. And then the last is your payment process. It needs a VIN, uh, VIN to plug to charge, basically. VIN recognition, payment process on the backside, no credit card. You just plug in, car and charger say, hey, yes, I blah, blah, blah. Everyone's happy, fills your bank account, and you're good to go. It's not even a cost thing. Most EV owners are not going to be relying on these networks for long distance driving. It's their, it's their everyday car. You're gonna go on a road trip once or twice a year. And honestly, even if you have to pay the same as gas for these road trips, which isn't ideal, um, but even if you do, not many people are going to complain about it because not many people are using them. You're only right, going right. to use it for road trips. But the car needs to get you there <laughs> because that, that's a make or break decision. So those are the things that it needs. It also needs you know, battery preconditioning on the way to the charger. Make sure that car can accept the maximum charge rate that it can because it knows you're routing to a charger. That's a big one, especially in cold climates. No, that, that's also a great kind of uh, call out that most people don't realize. And Tesla has made it kind of the easy button where it just does it for you. and You don't even realize it most of the time. Right. So this, that, those particular set of points, I feel is the largest differentiator between Tesla and everyone else. I feel that, you know, we've gotten to the point where electric cars are relatively long range they're very comfortable, they're premium, they're fast, they're amazing to drive. But you can only drive so far if, you don't, if you're not a nerd like us. And yeah. so in a Tesla, you can drive as far as you want. And that's, that's the difference. So kind of uh, going off of everything we've talked about, right now we've been talking about the current state and kind of the short-term future. Mm -hmm. what, what do you see short-term to maybe a little further out uh, whether that's Mach-E or whatever, just what are some future EV products that you're really excited about? Very excited for Lucid. Uh, not necessarily their air product. Uh, I, just from styling perspective, it's not, it's not geared toward me. I'm not supposed to. I, I agree, yeah. But uh, I think they have seven models they're planning on doing, but their approach to building EVs is very enticing. I think that's good. Um, that's a good question. What else am I excited for? Rivian. I think they've nailed it from a design perspective as well. You know, the thing people don't realize is you don't buy cars with your head. You don't buy them with logic. You buy them with emotion. So everyone's logic where they're driving their spreadsheet around with their Tesla that can go 0 to 2.2 seconds. Don't get me wrong. It's fun. I own a performance Tesla. A Tesla I floor it all the time. But it, for me, I'm much more of an emotional car buyer. I need to feel a connection with it. And up to this point, I have not driven an electric car. Maybe the Polestar 2 that I really feel like happy and just very, very uh, almost proud to drive this car. Like it fits me. I haven't felt that yet. Like if you get into a really good 911 GT3 and you just go for a drive, you know, that car, it's just, it's really nice. Morgan's for example, the same way. It's just it's something speaks to you about it. There's a communication from the car to the driver and back. Uh, this has not been the case for EVs yet. And uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's the best commuting road trip device there is. Um, but I'm excited for an EV that doesn't make me want to have a manual transmission fun car in the garage for the weekends. I don't know nope. if it'll ever happen, though. 
What do you think that missing part is? Is it the shifting? Is it sometimes the feel? I mean, that's where I'm kind of surprised. Is like even Porsches now have gone to an electric steering assist, but you get a lot of feel through them. And right. So yeah. I, yeah. Steering is it's it's a combination. I think it's always yeah. more than the sum of its parts. I don't know if you can always just describe it. See, like in a Morgan, you feel like you're going to die driving 40 miles per hour, so the adrenaline's always running, and I I love that about Morgans. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to see that with an EV. Uh, with a Miata, you can toss the car around; it wants to slide, but you're at manageable low speeds. It's a very easy performance accessibility for most people. Um, yeah, it's hard to put into words what the fizz is. That's how yeah. we you know describe it. But I've yet to get the fizz from an electric car. Um, you know, Taycan, I I had high hopes for, and don't get me wrong, it's amazing. I think it's a great driving electric car. I've spent quite a bit of time with Taycan and various trims now. Uh, really a big fan but it, it doesn't give me the fizz. Really? Okay. Cause that, it seems to be a lot of the reviews are saying that's what it has versus uh, maybe it comes closer than others, but still not much. Uh, correct. But also yeah. keep in mind, most journalists, I say this cause I'm not a self-proclaimed auto journalist. I'm not, and I'm not a YouTuber either. I'm just a guy who likes cars. Uh, most journalists are not great drivers because writing totally. and driving don't go hand in hand. Completely agree. Yeah. Uh, so talking about the immediate future, can you share a little bit more about uh, the rest of your trip uh, going through from Denver through California and uh, some of the things you might be doing on the way before you go back home eventually? Good question. We haven't talked about it yet. We don't know. <laughs> Alyssa and I haven't had that conversation. We got as far as that I know I need to get out to California and collect this Morgan Plus Four to do a road trip in. Uh, other than that, I'm going to try and swing by the Lucid factory, do a little thing there um we'll see if we can get those dates lined up uh yeah i don't really know we've we've seen so many cool places we're going to try to just go out into the middle of the wilderness get away from people pitch our tent uh push our model three as far as it will go uh, we had it off-roading in moab which was one of the coolest experiences jeeps were turning around and we're just <laughs> scraping on the battery pack going through uh, it's going to be a cool episode i i do have to say since we're just talking about it Tesla builds one hell of a strong vehicle because I could have sworn at least five times I thought we were going to rip the battery pack out of underneath the car, like full on just jamming it into the ground. And it, it stayed bolted in and it hasn't cared. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing that. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler it, alert, I guess. It keeps running. But uh, no, that, that's impressive to hear. Yeah. So uh, once I get back, though, I'm going to do, uh, I have a whole bunch of cars lined up. I3, uh, two Tycons, uh, Polestar 2 long-term test, uh, the Leaf, which is going to be interesting because it's now the last model year of the Leaf or coming close to it with Aria yeah. coming out. Um, and then we just have a whole bunch of whatever else is electric in the fleet to try to get to. Um, and keep in mind, I don't review just EVs. I also do gas cars as well. So every week it's something new that's dropped off that I'll Sometimes put on the out of spec channel, although it hurts the YouTube algorithms, but I usually write about it for one of, uh, one of the outlets that I work with. So you, you mentioned you don't think of yourself as a Tesla YouTuber. And I, I would say if you're looking at the stereotype, that is true. You just happen to be on YouTube. Is there anything else you'd like to comment or one of the reasons, some of the reasons you stay away from that stigma in particular? Yeah, I, uh, I don't think it's a bad stigma. I'm just, you know, I, I love my Tesla and I drive my Tesla because it truly is the best electric car today. But I'm not of the mindset that it's not that it's always going to be the best electric car. 
And, uh, you know, I try to stay away. I'm very much brand agnostic. Whoever is going to build the best EV at the time is the car that I will, you know, at least attempt to purchase if it's in my price range and drive and use as hard as possible. Uh, Right now with the charging infrastructure, by far, it has to be Tesla, right? If I was driving a Taycan on this trip, I'm sure, again, speculation, I'm sure I would have run into charging issues. Uh, not Are you going to be the first one with a Taycan at Moab? That's the real question. Uh, right. Well, uh, we'll see. Porsche probably wouldn't be too happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it starts a conversation. Just pitch it to them like that. Right. Exactly. Well, you know, I'm just pitching to those very valuable Jeep Wrangler owners that you're trying yeah. to get. <laughs> no, I, I think, um, right. So just lots of testing, lots of road trips coming up. It's very clear that people want to see more adventures and EVs. I hope that that translates from uh, Tesla to other brands, because again, the other off-brand Tesla road trips that I've done have done uh, very well numbers as well. So I hope to continue that trend uh, to inspire people to go out of their comfort zone. We're actually going to be working on out of spec. Um, My sister, I just asked her to start this for us. We're going to have a whole uh, sort of store type thing, not necessarily to make money, but because if you want to go on a big adventure, let's say you want to go to Alaska in an EV, you have to go to like 30 different websites to buy stuff. And we're just going to like have curated, here's the best stuff, whether we're going to stock it or we're just going to send the order to that, that website that does it already. Uh, we're just going to have a really nice facilitation, easy to use, one-stop shop for all your electric vehicle adventure gear. No, that, that's great to hear because I think that does augment really well what Tesla does, the easy button solution. Right. And that, that's totally true. There's a lot of easy ways to improve the car, but it's kind of a death by paper cut. You have to do a lot of things out of your way. Um, and having that one place to kind of get all this stuff, I think will be uh, super helpful for a lot yeah. of people, especially if they want to do road trips and stuff like that. It's not even just the one place as well, which I agree is a huge uh, thing, but it's also seeing us use these products and test them and be like, yes, this is what we use and it's actually good. And if it's not, we're not going to carry it. Right. Um, because it's, uh, it's one of those things that, you know, I see all the time these like Alibaba Tesla resellers that just sell these cheap plastic stuff that they buy from China and they just put their logo on it. And honestly, they're all crap. <laughs> Every product that I've ever played around with, screen protectors, wireless phone chargers, they're all garbage. And uh, I'm like, you know, I don't want any of this near what we're working on. It's really going to be highly curated. Each product will have a nice video showcasing how it works by us. And uh, that's, that's probably the, the next short-term phase. I'd like to have that up and running, at least starting up and running within the next month. Oh, wow. That's soon. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely look forward to that. Uh, I realize we're kind of coming up on maybe a little past the hour at this point, but. Okay. Yeah. I haven't even looked yet. (laughs) (laughs) I I am curious though, uh, given your experience with uh, doing road trips all over the place now, are there any interesting trends given the crazy times we're in that you've seen how kind of COVID has impacted these road trips, whether that's made it easier at times because less people are trying to charge or any things that stand out to you? Yeah, no, it's, it's been normal traffic, honestly. Uh, superchargers are, I would say, just as, as full as they normally are. Uh, the ones in the middle of nowhere have nobody like they had nobody before. The yeah. ones that are you know, closer to downtown, we see cars often. Um, it, it really hasn't impacted us in any way other than us just trying to be careful, of course, wearing masks everywhere, uh, keeping our distance best we can. That was a pain in the butt flying 
no one was keeping their distance. But you know, there's only so much you can do uh, from my side for this. Um, we're, we're being, that's the reason we're going on this trip. Where we live in North Carolina is a very much a destination spot. Uh, we're sort of that halfway between New York and Miami, and we live on campus of five breweries and four restaurants where everyone stops in. And so we're like, well, we have everyone from Florida and New York on yeah. our front porch. <laughs> Wherever we go, it's going to be better. <laughs> right. Now, that, that's a good point. I, I think uh, the way you just pitched it, though, does sound like a fun place. I'll wait until oh, things great. are a little, yeah, a little we less We open our to doors to anyone uh, who's traveling through. We've hosted a lot of EV owners. We have uh, plenty of chargers. We also have our own R&D test facility, road course, two-mile-long racetrack, uh, just a few exits up the highway as well. Uh, that I always take people around for drifting laps in. So yeah, uh, I, actually, I would like to know a little bit because I remember I've seen you mentioned that on your channel, but I haven't heard much lately about that or what. Well, that's just because that we're kind of traveling. Yeah, yeah, we do a lot of um, a lot of EV R and D stuff there actually, which is pretty cool. Uh, so if you saw that Mustang drift car, the Mach E rally car, that was all done in our facility. Uh, I think people figured that out through the internet. They weren't supposed to though, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, it's just a really cool place. It's in partnership with North Carolina Center for Automotive Research. Uh, our offices are there. So our, our studios there, our editing booth, everything's up there. And um, right now I'm working the, the mobile life on this trip, but that's fine. There's really no reason for us to go there other than to shoot uh, vehicle reviews and do proper testing in a safe place. Gotcha. Well, uh, if someone wants to learn more about out of spec, Kyle, what, what is the best uh, way for them to kind of learn more? Uh, well, if they, they learn more, I'd encourage them to tell me a little bit more because it's a very <laughs> convoluted thing. Uh, no, just, uh, just follow the, the YouTube channel, Out of Spec Motoring, I think. We, you know, we have a website, but there's really not much info on there. Um, what I think we're going to be doing is just a lot of big road trips, a lot of adventures in EVs, having fun. And, and if it's going to be interesting, we're going to record it and put it up. And then you're also a guest contributor at Inside EVs. Is that uh, just more kind of giving updates on certain cars or is that an ongoing feature? No, for no, that's well? a full gig. I run their, uh, run their video outlet for them. So that's, oh, that's gotcha. the main, that, that's like the day-to-day -day job. So, uh, you know, check out Inside EVs. Um, we have a, a weekly podcast, of course, not to plug on your show, but uh, we also have a, uh, uh, a YouTube series. We're trying to do one a week. We may do two. Uh, we have a lot of content that I just need to sit down and edit through, but just cool stuff like maxing out cars on the salt flats and doing full reviews of vehicles and, uh, you know, really diving into just EVs and video format, but not so much the adventure side. So out of specs, the fun adventure side that documents our lives personally. And then inside EVs is much more of your traditional car review, original content for, uh, for editorial. Great. Well, I, I want to say thank you again for your time today, Kyle. Uh, we'll look forward to speaking with you more and looking forward thank to you. seeing how the rest of the road trip goes for you. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Always great to talk about cars. It's just a blast. It's easy enough. So I'll, I'll give you some time back before we keep doing it for another hour. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to visit our website, connectingthegrid.com. There you can listen to our podcasts, contact us about sponsorship, or even be a guest on Grid Connections. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a positive rating on your favorite podcast or video streaming service. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out a lot too. Thank you again, and I look forward to us learning more together soon.